Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound Welcome to A Public Affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. Today is a Public Affairs annual book show with Gretchen Troy, co-owner of Madison Bookstore, A Room of One Zone. We're going to talk about great new books, book gift ideas for all ages this holiday season, as well as the state of the book world and local independent bookstores. My guest, Gretchen Troy, has been a co-owner with Wes Lucas of A Room of One's Own since 2018. Before that, they worked in the store for 11 years. In 2020 and 2021, they helped oversee the store's move from downtown Madison to Atwood Avenue on Madison's east side. Welcome back to A Public Affair, Gretchen. Thanks for having me, Douglas. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you'd like to share a question or a perspective about the world of books and book selling, or would like some gift ideas, some tips on buying books for people in your life, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Again, it's great to have you here today, Gretchen. Um, We're going to start off by just having you tell us about the books you're excited about right now in December. Tell us about Room's Books of the Year and best-selling books of 2022. Sure thing. Um, Man, there's always, every day I have a different book I'm excited about, I think. Um, This time of year, it can be hard to dredge up any excitement over all the work, but um, it's pretty exciting to have people in the store again. Um, this is our second holiday season in our new space, and people have just continued to show up in such a wonderful way for us. So thank you to everyone who is shopping at your local independent bookstores, whether it's us or any of the other awesome ones in town, Kismet and Verona, um, Mystery to Me on Monroe Street. There's um, the Itty Bitty Bookstore in Stoughton, and there's some other incredible stores in town. So thanks for keeping our industry alive, everyone. Um, Talking about books, man, my favorite book of the year, we had an event last week, which you can still go on our website and view the event online. Um, It's a, it was a free event. We recorded it. It's for the book, how far the light reaches a life in 10 sea creatures by Sabrina Imbler. Um, Unfortunately, this book is now out of stock um, almost everywhere. We have a couple of copies, but if you place an order, you can get one when they come back in. Um, it's just an incredible, thoughtful series of memoiric essays comparing Imbler's kind of queer, multiracial life and, and various aspects of it to various sea creatures. So like, I'll never think about the Yeti crab the same way or the salp. And like, I think about this octopus mother that they talked about in the book um, and how that reflected upon their mother's parenting. Um, so many kind of like world shifting, thoughtful, curious, wonderful approaches to thinking about animals and people and um, reflections on a life. So 
I really highly recommend that book, especially to anyone who loves good science writing and good memoirs. Um, what other ones? There's a lot of great science and nature writing out there these days. What You describing that book, which I haven't read yet, um, but I would love to, uh, reminded me of Ed Yong's An Immense World, which is also on in your holiday catalog. That book is so good, too. Ed Yong, um, I came to his writing through his reporting in The Atlantic during the pandemic. He wrote a lot of really thoughtful, smart pieces about kind of the social impacts of the pandemic and also really clear, um, thoughtful approaches to following what the current science was as things progressed in 2020 and 2021. Um, so I already knew that he has just kind of that, that thing that you don't always see in journalism because of various reasons, which I think you could probably talk about more than I can, but, um, he is, so wise and he's so curious he has such a great way to approach people and understand what they're excited about and what their work is and then translate it in a way that is so relatable and thoughtful and and warm and alive um so this book is all about different animals and um how we are learning things about how they can sense the world around us in ways that we can't and so it's all about sensory experience and um like the limits of humanity in terms of being able to understand what the world is. And also just like an, an exuberant exploration of how much animals give to us and how much we can give to animals. And in a way where it's not talking about animals as if they're only for humans, right? Like it's, it's, it's a very thoughtful, decentered way of looking at animals and what they can do and how they, yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, you you described it um, so well as well. Thank you, Gretchen. So there's a couple <laughs> of nonfiction titles for us to start off. Um, <laughs> building really on our, our show last week, which was all about biodiversity and the UN Biodiversity Conference that's just oh. wrapping up that we heard about in the BBC headlines just a few minutes ago. But So there's some great nonfiction titles. Tell us more about um, what your staff is noticing people are into in fiction and poetry and other genres. Sure. Um, there's so many good books. Our, my staff are all such creative, bright, wonderful people, and they all have different interests. And so one of the things that I love about working with people is that your things about the types of books that I just never would think to pick up, um, especially Anada, who's our general manager. She does such a great job of finding small presses and like all these different creators who are making these incredible beautiful strange or like giving books that are just completely off the map there's one that we had and now is sold out and i don't know if we're gonna be able to get it again but the way that she talked it up was just so exciting it was called frog in the fall and that press is going under unfortunately but um it was just like this beautiful graphic novel um other people fozzy on staff does such a nice job of curating like really queer um awesome thoughtful smart books um one of the ones that they were really excited about is a poetry book and i'm not a big poetry person i know that will um, make many of the listeners turn off on me but i can appreciate when people appreciate poetry and um one of the ones they really love this year was called the world keeps ending and the world goes on by franny Choi. um and they talk about it with such 
excitement. It's like sort of a protest anthem kind of book, the kind of poetry where you are struck by every line and you write down poems to send to your best friend, like kind of encouraging and, and bracing kind of poetry. Um, fiction, man, there's a lot of fiction in the book, in the catalog this year too, which is great. Um, the, we have, we decided this year to do four books of the year for Room. So one of them is How Far the Light Reaches, which I already talked about. Um, the like regular literary fiction of the year for us is Disorientation by Elaine Xiao Chao. And um, that one I have not personally read, but a few people on staff have and loved it. It's kind of a, a little bit millennial fiction in a way. It's about a young woman who um, is kind of, she's Asian American and she gets stuck in academia and just like dealing with the constant racism, um, but in a very like funny way um, and very honest. It's like one of those like, ooh, pull the wool over your eyes kind of books. Um, apparently Sabrina Imbler and Elaine Zhao are friends. Um, they were tweeting about how great it was to share our books of the year space because they were both helping each other write these books. So if you liked one, you might try the other. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I know. It was like so serendipitous. We had no idea. Um, our other book, our genre book of the year is Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Um, one of our staff, Gideon, just adored this book and many of us kind of got swept up in the infectious excitement of it. It's um, a book about uh, an adventuring orc, like a Dungeons and Dragons style orc, and she's just really tired of, you know, all the killing and decides to go to retire and open a coffee shop. So it's a coffee shop story. She falls in love with another, uh, I think a halfling, um, another woman. And so it's like this sweet, gentle story of love and community and nothing terrible happens. And it's, it's so wonderful to see the, like how much this book was filling such a need. Like people, especially during the pandemic have really been wanting books that are hopeful and kind and without being twee, you know, like that have a real beating heart in them. And this book kind of just really hit. And luckily it had originally been self-published. That's when we were selling it before. And then it got republished by Tor Books. So now it is much more widely available. So if you were trying to get it over the summer and you couldn't, you are now able to get it again. It came back out in November. That's Gretchen Troy here on A Public Affair with us today, talking about books of the year at A Room of One's Own Bookstore in Madison. We're talking about holiday gift ideas for books. We're talking about the book industry, independent booksellers. We'd love to have you join the conversation with questions, comments about great books you've read this year, books you would recommend. Uh, if you're looking for recommendations, this is a great time to call in and ask for one from an experienced bookseller. Please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, here on A Public Affair, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. You can also reach out on Twitter or Facebook. Gretchen, you just mentioned books with a beating heart and warmth and, and kindness behind them. It reminded me of uh, one of the other authors on uh, one of your big lists this year, Ocean Vong. Um, yeah. And his uh, new book of poetry, Time as a Mother, he's written prose as well. Tell us a little bit more about Ocean Vong. Oh, man, his novel that came out a couple few years ago, it was, it was my favorite book that year. Um, 
on Earth were briefly gorgeous. I would not call that one a hopeful or happy book. Um, it had a lot of difficult topics in it. Um, but it it was one of the few that felt like all that difficulty was worth it. Um, he's an incredible writer, an incredible wordsmith. Um, his newer book, Time as a Mother, is a poetry book, which means that I have not read it. Um, but a lot of people who have love his poetry, he is such a lyric and thoughtful person who really does go for that kind of emotional core. Yeah, two others jumped out at me from your list as well. Um, Bell Hooks uh, was on there. Uh, you can tell us about the title of Bell Hooks is on there. Of course, we lost Bell Hooks in the last yeah. year. So I thought um, it would be important to bring her up. And uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, we could talk about a little bit as well. Sure. Yeah. So you're referring to the room's best-selling books of 2022, which is in our holiday catalog. Um, and so Breeding Sweetgrass was again on our best-selling list. It's just been such a steady st seller for us. Um, it's one of those books that just kind of hit it off with word of mouth and has never stopped over the like years now. Um, they put out a really beautiful new hardcover edition too from Milkweed Books. They do such beautiful work at that small press. Um, and I think it's just the effervescent popularity of that book, I think, speaks to how much people are hungry for finding ways of knowing and understanding the world that are not centering such a colonial perspective as almost all science writing tends to do. Like this book is about recovering indigenous knowledge and indigenous science um, in terms of how we care for the world and understand like the role of humans and plants together. Um, I don't know, you, you said you've read it. Did you want to talk about it a little? Sure. I, I, you, you said it very well. I, it, um, it is also a warm hearted book that, uh, combines science with storytelling in a really rare kind of way, particularly um, from from the perspective of a scientist, and in this case, a plant scientist. And uh, like you said, uh, she's rooted. She's a citizen Potawatomi, Robin Wall Kimmerer, the author, and she's very rooted in indigenous traditions, particularly here in the upper Midwest. And many of the plants that she tells stories about uh, human relationships with are plants native here in the upper Midwest. So, yeah, it's had this sort of uh, eternal life, it seems, as a book. I know it's taught a lot at colleges and universities, used in bookstores. And you mentioned, Gretchen, that um, there is a new uh, young adult version of it out. Yeah, that just came out, I want to say, a month or two ago. Um, so they've a lot of publishers start to do that, like these kind of perennially... Um, beloved books um, that adults have really grasped onto. They make a younger reader version, so more of a young adult readership um, that is a little more accessible. So like books like Cast um, by Wilkerson just came out in a young adult nonfiction version. Um, and I think it's just a really nice way for this information to become accessible to younger readers and even adults who maybe just aren't in the habit of reading long nonfiction books, like at least getting kind of a taste of what is in the book um, is, is great. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to see that Braiding Sweetgrass is continuing to have like an even more and more outreach and even more and more people um, picking it up. And, and yeah, 
cast that you just mentioned by uh, the really um, amazing journalist Isabel Wilkerson, who wrote uh, a book called The Warmth of Other Suns and then has this new book or newer book called Cast, um, is a big book, right? Just like Warmth of Other Suns was. How how does that look? I haven't seen the young adult version. It's somewhat condensed. And how, how do they treat those books like big books like that? Um, I honestly haven't read but that the young adult version, so I can't really speak to it um, personally. But it's it's much smaller. It's much it it has like a more friendly, you know, like oh, you could pick this up and read this in a weekend kind of a feel. Like you're going to be committing to that book unless you're really in the habit of reading um, long works of research and history, um, which I think in both of these cases it's very well worth it to read the original version um but having more accessible like just sort of the most salient points presented in a way that is accessible for more people i think is really great but yeah the new nonfiction versions of both of them are shorter um i think braiding sweetgrass is actually not that much shorter I'm looking at it right now but cast is like maybe a fifth of the length mm-hmm. So young adult books aren't just for young adults, in other words. Sure. <laughs> um, tell us more while we're on the subject about uh, what people are interested in young adult and children's books, too, we haven't talked about yet. Sure. Well, let me bring up... Um, Sorry, I dropped my phone. Um, our children's book of the year um, is I Love You Because I Love You by Juan Tivan. Um it is just this beautiful book, Jessica Love, who did um, Julian is a Mermaid, if you're familiar with that picture book, um, just has this very expressive um, colored pencil art. And it's such a sweet, heartwarming picture book about so many families, including families with trans parents and just all kinds of things, the sort of family that you maybe don't see that often in a picture book, even now. Um, and it's just this like beautiful lyrical kind of story, um, poet poetic sto- sort of story. Um, other books for kids. Let's see. One of my favorites in the catalog for kids is A is for B, which is a book from Levito Levine Curido, which is a an imprint that does a lot of diverse stories. Um, mostly they've done young adult books, but I guess they're branching out into picture books now because. This book, it has these beautiful woodcut illustrations of animals. And on each page, it talks about a particular animal and gives the name of that animal in another language. Um, And so, like, it's really cool. I I actually bought it for my family and my kids, um, an alphabet book in translation. So, like, Q is for frog, quinoa in Mandarin, kurbaga in Azerbaijani. And then if you go online, they have a, um, a QR code at the back of the book that lets you hear native speakers pronouncing each of the words under each of the letters, which was really neat. I sat down and did that with my kids, too. What a great um, idea. Yeah. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. My name is Douglas Haynes, and today I'm talking with Gretchen Troy, co-owner with Wes Lucas of A Room of One's Own Bookstore on Atwood Avenue in Madison. 
If you'd like to join our conversation to talk about books or you have questions for Gretchen about what to get someone uh, this holiday season, book-wise, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Uh, Gretchen, let's... um. Zoom outward a little bit, broaden the conversation, and uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about trends you've noticed in book publishing over the past year, um, both in terms of the process of publishing, and but also content. Are there any trends that stand out? Man, um, it's been kind of a hard year to follow a lot of stuff in the book world, just because it's our first year in our new space, and we're trying to get our feet under us. But like, there have been a lot of major issues, things that have come um, since Simon and Schuster was bought by Penguin Random House, and then there was a lawsuit that kind of finally wrapped up, I think, a month or so ago, um, where it was an antitrust lawsuit. Basically, if Random House buys Simon, then they control too much of the kind of percentage of publishing industry publishers that there are out there. Um, and so following that was pretty eye-opening. Um, we've seen a lot more kind of frank discussion in book selling and in publishing about um, money um, for, which I think is always an important thing to talk about, like who is making money off of what stories, um, which is often what I bring up when people say, well, if someone wants to write a book, like a white person writes a book about a black person and it becomes really popular like the help or something isn't that good doesn't that just raise awareness it's like well yeah but then you're sending all your money to a white person who's profiting off of black people's stories and histories um so there's some of those conversations that have been ongoing like in the aftermath of say american dirt which was published a few years ago um but also like harper collins um workers are on strike right now so they've been agitating for more money and benefits um, because it is frankly impossible to live mid-level publishing on the salaries that you receive. But in, in contrast, the like CEOs are taking home a lot of money. So really following that trial, it was eye-opening to see just, I can't remember any of the numbers. I'm not a numbers guy, but like, how much they don't understand the economics of their own industry, like not knowing what a mid-level advance for an author might be or what a, a high earning author is. And when you really get down to it, like almost no authors can survive off of the advances they get for their books, especially as contracts kind of drag them out longer and longer. So there's a lot of conversations going on about how to make this industry sustainable and reasonable for people who are working in it um, from the authors to publishers to booksellers. So. You mentioned that lawsuit uh, about consolidation um, or the, the threat of consolidation. What uh, impacts do you, have you already noticed or potentially foresee about the shrinking of the, the major um, book companies into fewer and fewer companies? Um, I mean, we've been seeing it for a long time, as long as I've been in book selling. There are, you know, it used to be, I think when I started, it was the big seven, and now it's the big three or four. Um, 
we see a lot fewer what we call mid-list books, which is really where any book that the publisher, when they bought it, didn't think was a really sure bet. So basically anything by a marginal person start the kind and to up, uplift in our store um you know anyone who's like stephen king or john grisham might get a huge advance no matter what they're putting out but does you know sabrina imbler get even a shot um we see a lot fewer galleys come through which is feels like me whining to some extent because galleys are paper books that we get that um are books that are going to come out in the next several months and they send them to booksellers and other reviewers and other places to get the word out about that book and give us a chance to read them before they come out so we can be part of the zeitgeist of that book's publicity um but we get very few of them especially since the pandemic um which means it's much harder for us to know a lot about what's coming out in time for us to do things like decide how many copies we're going to order or what we're going to put in our catalogs or whatever. And um, without having that kind of advance notice and planning, we can't like, if we don't order big on a book that we do want to do well by, then the publisher may think, Oh, there isn't a demand for this book and they shrink the print run. Um, so you see a lot of books like, that come out and then the publisher had vastly underestimated how much people want it and didn't publish enough. And then it might go to a print on demand if it's a paperback or even a hardcover sometimes, but it, the economics of all of that and like who's taking basically a chance on what um, is becoming very, very difficult now. Um, it's hard to make guesses about what is coming out and it feels like we're all, You mentioned there um, the role of independent booksellers a couple of times, or independent book publishers a couple of times, and we've um, a few of the titles that we've talked about already today, um, like Braiding Sweetgrass, have been brought out by independent um, book publishers like Milkweed, um, and there seems to be uh, a lot of success happening for publishers like Milkweed, also Grey Wolf in Minneapolis, Coffee House Press. Um, tell us about the connection between uh, independent publishers and independent booksellers. And is there sort of a, a network that uh, brings books forward that might not otherwise get the publicity if they were with um, big major houses? Yeah, to some extent. Um, I don't think there's anything super formalized, but we do try to reach out to small presses, especially ones that feel like they're doing the kinds of books that we like um, and say like, hey, we're a very queer or very small press oriented kind of bookstore. We want to curate your book into our collection. Um, so we do take the time and energy to do that, which is kind of a risk on our part because sometimes with a small press, their returns, we can't return a book if we don't sell it or they may not offer as large of a discount or it may just not be very available um, like we've kind of discussed about Frog in the Fall, but it's really, it always feels good to get a book that you really love from a small press because you know that anybody who's working on a small press, like they're not making bank on that. They're not the, you know, Penguin Random House CEO. Um, so they're doing it because they love it. And we're doing this because we love this too. 
Um, and so finding when those voices can kind of match up, that does feel kind of magical. Um, one of our books in our catalog this year, that's been one of our bestsellers of the year, um, Still True by Maggie Ginsberg. She lives in um, Blue Mounds nearby and the book came out from the University of Wisconsin Press. And um, I love this book. It's so like gorgeously detailed. Um, it's all about a woman who has secrets from her past that she hasn't told her husband and they kind of come to light. Um, and it's all about small town Wisconsin and um, family and trust and how you learn to get over like a big betrayal or a lie um, in a way that's very fulfilling and moving. It's a, it's a beautiful book, but like, you know, probably almost no bookseller in any other state will have even heard of that book because university presses don't get a lot of publicity outreach and um, it can be kind of hard to order from them sometimes. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought that one up. Any other Wisconsin related books or Wisconsin authors uh, that you're all <laughs> noticing there on staff that you'd like to share with us today? Sure. Um, I have a few. One of my favorite books of the year is Small Game by Blair Braverman. Um, she lives in Mountain, Wisconsin, and she and her husband, Quince, they are, they've both done abroad, um, and they're pretty famous on Twitter. So if you follow Braver Mountain on Twitter, you'll know how about. their dogs are wonderful, and they write so beautifully about them. But Blair has her first novel out, and it's um, it's a queer book. Um, about a young woman who was raised by preppers in Montana and she like knows a lot about like survivalism but not much about people and she joins this reality show where it's kind of a survivalist reality show um, and she is basically dumped out in the woods with a production crew and six or seven other contestants and then the production crew disappears about halfway through filming and so it's like a survival story but it's also a very coming up personhood story for this main character Mara and um, it's just beautiful it has such like smart insights about the role of nature and and people but also the way that she writes the main character with such opacity where you the reader can understand a little bit about what other characters are thinking or feeling about her but she clearly doesn't because she just doesn't have that background um, it's just really, really well done. And I found it like very thrilling and gripping. Um, so yeah, that's one of my favorites of the year. Anyone who loves a thriller or who's watched Naked and Afraid, um, both of them were on that show, actually, the author and her husband. Um, but they do say that their experience with their producers was all wonderful and nothing like what is in her book. Um, another one that I I've just started reading, so I can't really talk about how it ends, but I'm really loving it so far is called The Vermilion Emporium by Jamie Pacton. She um, is a local author who lives, I think in Madison now. Um, and she's written a few young adult novels and this one's her first young adult fantasy that's been published. And she just, it's, it's about these two characters, a boy and a girl, and they kind of meet and they get drawn into this sort of magical lace making um and they are trying to survive it's very much about kind of class and um it's it's got like kind of this propulsive exciting storytelling um it's really a fun kind of 
book to curl up with in the winter, I think. Uh, it'd be great for any, you know, anyone who likes a young adult novel with a little bit of romance, but kind of a lot of exciting plot. Um, yeah. Oh, another one. My last local author plug right now. Um, American Crusade by Andrew Seidel. So this is a nonfiction book. It's about um, how the religious right has taken control of the Supreme Court. Um, Seidel is somehow involved with the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I don't know exactly how, but he has a very, very strong fan base. And I think he has a podcast. Um, and he did us such a great favor by asking people to pre-order his book from us. So we've gotten a lot of orders from all over the country um, for this book, which just feels like such a timely investigation into kind of the law and culture and how we need to actually be paying really close attention to how religion is infiltrating how our culture is set up, especially in terms of the law. I'm going to reintroduce you now. You're um, hearing Gretchen Troy, co-owner with Wes Lucas of A Room of One's Own Bookstore in Madison, talking about books of the year and books that they recommend uh, for this holiday season. We're also just talking about the book industry in general and how independent bookstores are doing these days. Please join our conversation at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also reach out on Twitter at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Gretchen, I'd love to have you talk a little bit now about how independent bookstores are doing these days and how they have weathered the pandemic uh, in general. Obviously, you have your own story there at Room of Fun Zone, so maybe you can... Uh, start with your story and then reflect a little bit more broadly. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So during the pandemic, as I think most people who know of us would know, we um, were we had to move. <laughs> was the short, long and short of it. Our old space, which was downtown on Gorham Street, um, was part of a building that was sold with the rest of the block pretty much for a new high rise, which is currently right now being built. Um, and so our landlord let us know that we'd be losing our lease. We wouldn't be able to renew, which we kind of knew was likely to happen at some point in the near future. Um, so it wasn't a huge surprise, but it was pretty rough timing. It was late 2020 when we learned of this. So we had to try to get through the holiday season um, and try to find a new place to situate our store and also figure out all the logistics and the build out and all of that. Um, but we adore our new location. I, I love it and I'm never moving away from here. <laughs> um, it was very difficult to move and I think we did a great job with what we have and the new space is so beautiful and Atwood has been such a welcoming, warm, perfect neighborhood for us. It's where uh, I personally live. Um, so it's really nice to see my neighbors come in. Um, it's much more family friendly. It was just always hard to get your little kids downtown, I think. Um, so it's, it's been a really, really good year for us. It's, it feels like I was a little worried that we'd have a lot less sales or something just because we're not downtown, but I, d I don't know. It feels like we're not slowing down and, um, it feels like we really have a long-term home here and I'm so grateful for that. Um. But you asked about independent bookstores more generally. I don't, 
I think it sort of depends. A lot of independent booksellers who I, you know, I'm in a Facebook group with a bunch of them um, will talk about how hard things are, how slow their season is, or they're considering closing, but others are talking about how wonderful it is and how great their stores are doing. So I think like always, it kind of varies based on location, um, kind of economic circumstance of the area the bookstore is in, um, how much they're able to make up any kind of shortfall that they might be experiencing in their local area with like online sales or other other streams of income. Um, yeah, it, it all varies. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's a tough business with pretty low margins. Um, nobody, very few people are making huge money off of independent book selling. Um, like we feel like we're doing really well. And, you know, we, we keep the roof over our head and the lights on and have a little bit and we try to pay our employees as well as possible and all of that. But it's not, um, it's not a quick cash grab. It's a lot of work. Tell us about in particular, some of the innovations you had there during the pandemic to keep things running uh, in the midst of, or just after your move as well. You came up with a lot of ways to keep uh, people in touch with books. Tell us about some of those. Sure. Um, I mean, some of it kind of grew out of what we were already trying to orient ourselves towards. We wanted to, reinvigorate the store's like feminist roots and be radical, but be in a, in a modern way, um, more intersectional, more thoughtful about how we're doing that. Understanding that various minority groups, some of which we're a part of and some which we, the owners aren't, but some of our staff are, um, are not being represented in book selling. Um, and so we, we we're already kind of focusing on how can we do good with what with what we have when we're doing well, if that makes sense. Um, so trying to strengthen ties with our community, trying to uplift um, black and brown voices, trying to be very clearly pro-trans and anti-turf. Um, and for the most part, people I think have really responded well to us having a voice and having a perspective and um, being political in ways that other businesses maybe aren't positioned in a way to do. Um, so that's been really nice. We have a really wonderful social media manager, Fozzie Taylor, who has done some incredible work um, developing kind of our, our voice online. Um, I try to let them do what they need to do and um, support them and, you know, kind of steer them or say, hey, what about this? We we try to work really collaboratively together without being like, you need to do this. Um, like, you know, we try to hire people who are experts and experts at what they do. And Fossey's really incredible at um, being like, hey, here are stories that you haven't heard about. Why don't you order them from us? Or um, they did these wonderful flow charts that were featured in the New York Times this summer um, that kind of were like, hey, you haven't read Octavia Butler, here you go. Or here are some indigenous voices you might not have read, but like kind of with a a fun and funky perspective and a very room sort of voice. Um, and we're trying to kind of keep finding ways for more and more of our booksellers to have input into those things. Um, one of the ways we've 
developed over the pandemic, which was really great. And I love, um, even though it's kind of a lot of work, are the subscription boxes. So like you can buy six months or a year of a subscription to a particular genre, or you can kind of custom work with us to custom build a genre. Um, and one bookseller gets assigned to you and they are going to choose books, especially for you. So I do the sci-fi ones and I, I don't know, I have between 20 and 50 subscribers at a time. It sort of depends. Um, and I like go through and I think about what that particular person said in their responses when we ask what they like. And I try and find a book that just came out that's really good for them. Uh, so it's really nice to be able to kind of flex our recommending muscles. Um, and we talk a lot on staff like, oh, what are you reading? What, it, what are you loving about that? Why isn't this working for you? Like we try to foster a sense of expertise and also like we're all learning together and none of us is above like understanding something that we haven't known before. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you know anyone else uh, who's doing those subscription uh, boxes, Gretchen? I don't. I've. I do know other stores that have done them. Um, I don't know that. There are some stores that do like a particular subscription where everybody's going to get the same book every month. I don't know offhand of any that are active right now that are doing bespoke subscriptions like we do. It's really. It's really a lot of work. It would be hard for um, most stores that aren't at the kind of level of baseline income to dedicate the work to them. But I think they really pay off in developing our booksellers' understanding of these particular genres. And, and also they help us kind of really develop and curate our sections in really interesting ways. So it's sort of an investment in... Um, the knowledge base of the bookstore that I really appreciate, but it might not be the direction everybody wants to go with their store. I can see it uh, being really valuable in cultivating that community you were talking about as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I also am getting uh, a nudge here from our producer Jade uh, about the social media voice that you're cultivating there at room of one's own as well. Uh, Jade saying she just saw a TikTok from room with book recommendations. If you're watching uh, this, read this, and they definitely jumped out at her. So um, getting uh, a note that there, there are definitely people out there. Um, and Jade is also asking if, uh, Gretchen, you see Room as a community resource and how you balance that with being a profitable store. Definitely. Um, that's kind of what my goal is, I, ideally, is that we can kind of chug along and do what we need to do to succeed in capitalism. And then with what we have after that, we want to kind of reinvest in our community, whether that's, you know, in our booksellers or um, we're, we do have someone whose job is like partially to actively cultivate relationships with organizations and businesses like the Goodman Center or Epic or wherever, and um, try and find ways to give back to the community in ways that sustain and support the kinds of voices that we try to uplift in the store as much as possible, as well as just being generally, you know, your kid's school is having a fundraiser, you know, go ahead and ask if we are available to donate to it. I can't promise we will, but we can try Absolutely, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And like stuff like when Roe fell, you know, we Fozzie wrote a zine about abortion and like how to access it and what, 
what to know about it um, that we had for free and is still available for free online to get um, and just tried to be a resource for gathering people in a political way, but also like in terms of a knowledge base and in terms of being um, done our best. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. My name is Douglas Haynes, and today I'm talking with Gretchen Troy, co-owner of A Room of One's Own Bookstore in Madison. There's still time to join our conversation. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also reach out on Twitter or Facebook. In the time we have left, Gretchen, uh, I think our listeners would love to have a little window into the daily life of running an independent bookstore. What are the daily joys for you and uh, what are the challenges? Give us a window into what it's like to be there day in and day out. Man, it's the best job I've ever had to work here. Um, It's also the hardest, um, which makes sense because it's, you know, the only job I've ever owned, I guess. Um, I do love the connections that we make with people. Like the other day, somebody asked for a really particular kind of book that wasn't something you could easily Google. Like they wanted a book to help their very religious elder understand trans things in a way that wasn't like, this is a book about trans experience because they didn't think she'd read it if we did that. And so I was able to find a book by a trans woman about growing up with her dogs. It's called Good Good Boy by Jennifer Finney Boylan. And we thought like, okay, this doesn't say like, here's a book about being trans. It was like, here's a book about growing up and having like all these dogs and this particular elder happens to love dogs too. And so we thought it might be a good way to like, it just felt really good to be able to draw on this like depth of experience and understanding of books that I have um and find something that maybe filled a need for someone that they just weren't able to just google you know um and just all the connections that we have like people who come in and they'll be like oh i love this book and talking about books with people and like when you're talking about a book it's not just about a book it's about an experience like you're talking about what reading means to somebody and you're taking this often very solitary experience and bringing it into community with someone else. Um, and I live for that. I missed it so much when we were closed. Um, it, that was the hardest, I think, when it was just processing orders online and trying to respond to people's emails um, and not being able to see people. Um, like now we have like nine-year-olds who just kind of come into the store on their own, which would never have been able to happen downtown, but they just bop on down and they shop for books and ask for recommendations. And it's just wonderful. It feels so good to be part of a community that is so engaged in books, but also in each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, life. <laughs> those are beautiful stories. Um, and it's, it's so important what you mentioned about that human connection around books and mm-hmm. uh, ways that sometimes with the ease of access to information we have sometimes we may forget about that that the ways we normally gather information aren't necessarily the most efficient or mm-hmm. 
most all-encompassing ways to gather information that talking, for example, to your local bookseller with their amazing experience might bring you to ideas and uh, stories that you never otherwise would have found online. Yeah. But otherwise, it's really just a lot of moving books around. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, there's nothing glamorous about being a bookseller, really, aside from having like really smart conversations with really smart people. Um, there's a lot of drudgery and, and grunt work to do. <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't all get to sit around and talk about books or read books on the job. We are doing a lot of, you know, retail stuff, keeping things clean and orderly, checking things in, sending things away, processing orders, helping customers, that kind of thing. What's the role of used books at the store now? We did reduce a lot of the used books um, when we moved. So when we moved, we were moving into a space that was about two thirds of the size of the prior space, which surprises a lot of people, I think, because of how kind of beautifully laid out our new spaces. Um, there was a lot of back rooms that you didn't know about if you went into the old store. Um, but we, we also lost a lot of we lost a lot of shelf space too, and so a lot of what we did not take with us was used books. Um, we still have some, but it's like maybe ten percent instead of half and half. Um, we are not buying books right now. We just don't have. We dedicated as much space as possible to having bookshelves and like retail space, and so we don't have a ton of back rooms um, to be going through people's book collections anymore, which is really too bad. I do miss that and wish that we could. Um, but we do still have a couple of used book buyers who consign their used books with us. Um, so that's kind of one way that we are still getting new stock in. Um, and we sometimes order from remainder companies, which is publishers sell off their unsold stock from their warehouses to these companies like Book Depot, and then they resell them to anyone, schools or institutions or bookstores for um, much reduced prices. And tell us in the minute or so we have left, Gretchen, about uh, the role of events at A Room of One Zone. You talked about wanting to be a community resource. Uh, how are events happening now um, as we are still in the pandemic but are easing out of it somewhat? Um, what's the role of events there? It's been tricky. Um, our new space does not have as large of an event area. So we're not really sure how events are going to go even in a non-pandemic future, um, as fantastical as that sounds. Um, this past year, we did a lot of events out on our little patio out back, which is actually really nice when it's nice outside. Um, and we partner, we have a strong relationship with the Wisconsin Book Festival, and we often partner with them to um, co-sponsor or co-host events, um, sell books for their events, and also send them kind of bigger authors who come to us wanting to do an event, but maybe we'll have it held at the library or something as kind of things continue. Um, so far we have not had in person inside the building events at our new space. Um, but that's probably something we'll kind of reconsider once spring rolls around and we'll see how the pandemic's going. We really don't want to be, you know, hosting super spreader events. It's been a pleasure talking with you today, Gretchen. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about A Room of One's Own and books this holiday season. Thank you, Douglas. I appreciate you having me on. I've been talking today with Gretchen Troy, co-owner with Wes Lucas of A Room of One's Own Bookstore on Madison's East Side. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew. 
producer Jade and news director Shali. And thank you very much, listeners, for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Take care and stay tuned for a Madison book beat. It's the same recorded message you've been singing all along. Keep handing us the Bible while you're walking off with all the gold. The bureaucratic office sends you merry go rounding. While the KKK police the streets by bloodhounding. Interest on the credit card just keeps on compounding. But the FCC can never shut this pirate sound.